Well, good morning, church. Y'all awake? I hope so. All right. Um, because it's almost lunchtime. And I know that because last service in the middle of preaching, my stomach was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> so, um, but it's so good to see you. Uh, as Matt said, man, it is officially summer. Yesterday was hot. I took our boys fishing and at like 1030, I'm like, can we wrap this up? I'm, I'm ready to go inside. I like the AC. Um, but it is so good <clears throat> to see you. And if you're a first-time guest, my name's Dustin. So welcome. Uh, as Matt said, I would love to connect with you over coffee. So uh, please come find me. My treat, you can even get a venti. I don't care what it is, all right? Get the most expensive thing. Um, I'll, I'll just put it on Matt's card. So, um, but anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Uh, we've been on this incredible journey. Hard to believe that I think this is week. 15 that we have been walking through and studying the book of Acts. Incredible um, just journey looking at the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, seeing the, um, lots of believers, the formation and expansion of the early church, uh, Paul's missionary journeys. And, um, and so we are kind of in the heart of one of those journeys of Paul. Um, we looked at some um, last week, um, but what we see um, kind of leading up um, in um, Acts chapter 17 is that Paul and Silas, they have journeyed to a town called Thessalonica. Um, if you've seen uh, or read the book of um, Thessalonians, that's a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul and Silas are there and they're really not welcomed. The, the Jews of the day are angry. They do not want Paul and Silas there. They can't find Paul and Silas, um, um, probably because they're smart. Paul and Silas don't want to get beat and arrested. So they're kind of in the witness protection program. And, um, and so in order to draw them out, the Jews uh, kind of rally up a crowd. It says they were jealous and they attack um, a house um, of a guy named Jason. Now tell me that doesn't sound like the whitest dude in the Bible, all right? Like, hey, let's go to Jason's house, all right? So they go to Jason's house and they attack his family. They draw him out, hoping that Paul and Silas would come. Paul and Silas don't come. So they take all of Jason's money. And once they have all, all of his money, they send them back. And then the early believers tell Paul and Silas, hey, y'all need, need to get out of here. They're looking for you. And so Paul and Silas actually travel to Berea, another city, not Berea like here in Greenville, okay? But they go to Berea and they're actually welcomed a little bit better. Um, they start preaching in the synagogues. Uh, people start to become believers and followers of Christ. And word, we see this theme all throughout Acts that they proclaim, people believe, and now the opposition comes. People don't like it, so they're rallying the, the, the town. And so then Paul then leaves. Silas and Timothy stay in Berea, but Paul then leaves to Athens. And that brings us to where we're at today. And as you can imagine, Athens during the time was a cultural epic center of all kinds of stuff, philosophy and intellectual thinking, arts, um, and just the culture, amusement, those types of things. And so Paul comes to this huge hot spot where it is um, centered around philosophy and deep and wide thinking. Now, I'm just going to kind of throw this tidbit out there. Every time, uh, this is just from my personal experience, anytime I've had a gospel conversation with someone who's really, really smart, um, it's intimidating because I'm not smart, <laughs> okay? And I don't care how much seminary I did or didn't do, whatever the case may be, a lot of times people are just smart. Like my wife is super 
intellectual. Um, she just runs circles around me. Um, and, and so I'm a slow thinker. I'm a processor. She is so smart. She's just quick. And so it can be intimidating. I don't know if you've ever had a gospel conversation with someone like that, but it's just really, really hard. And I don't mean any offense by this, but usually people who think that way, who are very smart, have a harder time grasping um, faith in Jesus because it's, it, for them, it's black or white. There's no gray space. How can you reason and have rationale of, uh, about Jesus coming back to life or dying in place of my sins or whatever the case may be? And so Paul is showing up to Athens, Greece, and this is the, uh, the approach and the culture of what's happening. I mean, it is the intellectual capital of the world. So think Oxford, Harvard, Yale, all those things. And they're devoted to philosophy. They're devoted to the arts. Um, and uh, one commentary I read is that they really worship um, the, the God of culture. It really is a cultural paganism, if you will, that anything of the day that they worship. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? All right. And so um, Athens, Greece of the day is not much different than the, the life that we live and the culture we live in um, today. And so that's where we pick up. Paul is right there in the crux of it in Athens. So we're going to be in chapter 17 and we're going to start in verse 16. It'll be on the screens so you can follow along as well. It says this, now while Paul was waiting for them, he's waiting for um, Silas and Timothy, while he was waiting at them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now let's just stop there. As he approaches, he's looking around and he's seeing different statues and art pieces and just the word around town. And people are worshiping many gods. They're worshiping culture, uh, the agendas of the day, all those things. And it bothers Paul so much so that Luke writes that he was provoked. Now, that what we see is the way that translates doesn't mean that he was angry and went on some tirade on Facebook about how the culture is horrible, but it stirred his emotions in such a way it broke his heart for what people were worshiping, what they believed, how they were devoted to such things. And so he wanted to take action in this, but listen to how and what steps Paul does in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. So he didn't blow up and go on some angry tyrant about the culture. He reasoned. He went inside the synagogues. He begins to reason with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he is going in the synagogues and in the marketplace, and he's sharing Jesus. He's talking about Christ. Verse 18, now some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Now, my hope is that every Sunday when you leave here, you're not like, what was that babbler saying? <laughs> You know, that's not how you look at me. Um, and if it is, I know where you live. It's in our database, so I will find you. I'm just kidding. That's not a threat. You're like, wow, what? thanks, Pastor. Um, but they're looking because, and it says, um, others said, uh, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul shows up to this intellectual crowd, and he's preaching Jesus, and they're like, hey, this is new to us. 
We, we don't understand this. And Luke points out two prominent um, groups of the day, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, let me kind of tell you the difference between these. The Epicureans were really hedonist, meaning their entire, the way they viewed life was all about their pleasure. So anything and everything, their purpose and meaning of life was, if it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. Even to the point where they would, um, I guess, push away cultural norms or morality. They said, hey, if, if I desire it, I'm going after it. If I want to be happy, I'm going to do it. Those types of things. It's kind of this live it up, YOLO type life where they're saying, hey, this is what I want. This is what I was designed to do. And I'm going to prioritize my personal pleasure over life's values. So that's what the uh, Epicureans believed. Now the Stoic philosophers were a little bit different and it could actually be a little confusing because they're actually pantheists, meaning that they believe in many gods in the sense of God is kind of everywhere and his presence is kind of everywhere. It's very similar to Hinduism in the sense they're like, well, God is in me and God's in you and God's in the trees and God's in the mountains. He's everywhere. So there is no separation between God of the universe and the universe. They're all the same. And so God is kind of everywhere. So with that, they reject really the personhood of Jesus being um, God's son. They overlook sin because God's in me and I'm in him and those types of things. And so you have these two, um, I guess, columns or areas of thought that are sitting here and they're listening and they're not making sense of what Paul is preaching about Jesus. But listen to what happens, verse 19. So they took him and they brought him to the Aragopagus saying, May we know what, the teach, what this new teaching is so that, that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. And we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So they would spend their day sitting around and just talking right? Learning from each other, growing in their wisdom. Oh, I've never heard that before. Teach me about that. They valued that intellect and um, praise God there wasn't YouTube because they would be so sucked into it, right? And so they're sitting around and that's, that's what they do. So listen to what Paul's words are. And this is huge. This is a great um, pinnacle moment, I guess, in our message this morning. It says, verse 22, so Paul Standing in the midst of the Aragopagus. Now, Aragopagus was cultural center, a lot of government officials. It was the center of town. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's like, so listen here. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place 
so that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, this is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Assurance is like proof. So now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Aragopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. All right, so you have this great, great, grand moment. Paul's in the midst of all these intellectual people and they're asking and he's proclaiming and it, it teaches us that you and I, when we are living sin, that's been our title of this. There's a couple things that Paul, we can kind of lean in and glean from Paul. The first one is this, is that everyone is looking for God. Everyone is looking for God. They might not call it God. They might not call it Jesus. But you and I were designed to have a relationship with God. And everybody that we come in contact with, they're looking for Jesus. They might, they might call it success. They might call it purpose. They might call it fame. They might call it joy or hope or unity, or peace, or inclusivity. They might call it equality, whatever they call it. They're looking for something somewhere, even if they don't call it Jesus. And Blaise Pascal, I love what he says. I've quoted this before. It's probably one of my favorite quotes. Is that he says that every man was born and has a God-sized void in our lives. And where the tension rubs in mankind is that we have this void that only God can fill. And what we try to do is fill it with other things. So we try to put success, try to put money, try to put control, try to put love and satisfaction, try to put our desires, our needs, our wants, all of those things. And it ends up being like a, um, you know, a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square, however that goes, right? It just doesn't fit. The only thing that fits that could really find, that we could find satisfaction and joy and purpose and meaning and all those things is God. And so what we see is that Paul is now in this uh, Greek culture. He's in Athens. He's seen all of these gods and he notices that they're looking for something. They're worshiping this God and this God for this and that, all of these things. And so everyone is looking for Jesus in our lives. We live in a culture that's full of this. But here's the problem that we face. And this might be a horrible analogy, but I'm, it works for me, okay? Because I, I thought about this late last night, right? <laughs> so no preparation in this. But oftentimes when we think about our purpose and our meaning, we look at ourselves. So I have a little hand mirror, okay? You got a little mirror, I'm trying not to blind you, all right? Is that oftentimes as you and I go through life, all we do is put up a mirror and all we can see is what's right in front of us. And what's right in front of us is what? 
ourselves, right? Whether you like it or not. So we walk through life with this mirror right in front of our face, only looking at ourselves. So what ends up happening is when you and I are only looking at ourselves, it is about my desires, my wants, my happiness. When we should be looking at God, we're searching for God, we're created to have a relationship with God, and instead of that relationship being there, we're, we're looking at ourselves. So it's about me. It's about my wants, my desires, my, my, my interaction, my joy. You don't need me to tell you this. We live in a world, I can't tell you how many times, but like, well, I just, God just wants me to be happy. You know, like that really hurts my feelings. I'm very offended by that. I'm like, well, okay, suck it up, buttercup, right? But what ends up happening is when you're only focused on yourself, all you do is think about yourself. And what ends up happening over time is that when you only look at yourself, when you are created as, um, as mankind to be looking and searching for God, and all you're doing is looking at yourself, who becomes God? You. Yourself. So now, life is in your hands. So I can do whatever I want. I, I, whatever's true for me is true for me. You know, and you start saying and believing these things. And so Paul shows up and he's like, hey, listen, all y'all are doing is looking to fill a void that only God can fill. He even says, I notice you're really religious. Very graceful way for Paul to say, y'all are searching. You're looking for all kinds of different ways. Have you ever come across someone, you know they're searching and they either say, one or two things, I'm a pretty religious person or I'm not very religious. So that they're, they're looking for something to fill that void. And for us in the world that we live in, this, this is how we interact with people every single day. They have that mirror right in front of their face. And they're missing the God who knows them and loves them and cares for them and is personable. Because we're so blinded by ourselves in that. And we try to put God in a box to meet our agenda and all these things. Because at the end of the day, in both Greek and even in Roman culture, the gods that they worshiped, think about this, were a means to the end. They worshiped a God of prosperity because I wanted to be prosperous. They offered, they, they, they worshiped the God of intimacy and relationships because I want that. The, the God of health, because I want to be healthy. All these things had a means to an end. And so often we try to find and kind of manipulate life and to try to fit it into this box to make it look cute and to be easy and to reflect what we want and desire. And just, we don't want to work hard for it. But God is the one that we should be pursuing and, and Paul lets them know, hey, listen, y'all been worshiping all these things so much so, get this, he says, you even have a plaque that says to the unknown God. It's like, you know, A, B, C, D, all the above. Let me just worship an unknown God just to cover all the bases in case the thousands and thousands of other gods that we don't worship don't meet all these needs. Let's just kind of put this kind of <laughs> in one kind of pool and say we will worship this. And here's, if you don't hear anything that I'm saying this morning, I hope you hear this, is that the greatest pursuit in life is Jesus, period. It is the greatest pursuit in life for you and for me, our meaning, our purpose, what you should chase after, what you should look towards, what should be the filter of everything in life is Jesus. It's not a piece of our life. He shouldn't be um, kind of 
second or third or fourth place in our life. Let me kind of do all these things and then I'll fit Jesus in. Jesus needs to be the pursuit of everything. And as we pursue Jesus, it changes how we parent. It changes how we love our spouse. It changes how we interact with coworkers. It, it changes our purpose and meaning of why we're doing what we're doing. So often people flounder around. I don't really have a purpose in life. I don't know what to do here. Do you know Jesus? And so Paul brings them back and starts to proclaim Jesus as the greatest pursuit. The second thing that we see from Paul's message here is that people need the truth about God. People need the truth. The world that we live in, people are so confused and skeptical, whether it is a message that they heard, an experience with the Christian, what our, the, the messages our world you know, communicates to them. This really came personal to me when I was, I guess I was probably 19, and I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to Guatemala. And I would say, if you've never been on a mission trip to a foreign country, you need to go, all right? Make it a priority um, this, this next year to go on a mission trip. We have great partnerships as a church, but um, you need to see how the majority of people live around the world. And I'm not saying, well, I went on a cruise to Spain. No, I'm saying like go to a third world country where there's some poverty and get your hands dirty instead of eating from a buffet, okay? I'm just saying, go, go on a mission trip. Had this opportunity for 10 days to go to Guatemala. And while I was in Guatemala, the, uh, I went, we went with the IMB, the International Mission Board, is who we support as Southern Baptists. They resource hundreds and thousands of missionaries around the world. They had a campaign called Operation Go. Their entire kind of um, goal was to get as many books of John, okay, books of St. Juan, um, into the hands of every single house in Guatemala as quickly as possible. So we went door to door. So think about this. At 19 years old, I'm going door to door. And my Spanish at the time was horrible. Um, it's even worse now. <laughs> but you go door to door and you're working through a translator. You're sharing the gospel. You're telling them about Jesus and giving them this. And, you're go and like, I have no clue what's going to happen. And so we were in Guatemala City. Then we went to a city called Escapulas. And here's where it really hit me. As we're there, Escapulas is kind of in the mountains, but a big city. And as we're going door to door, I realized people were so confused about who Jesus was. And here's why. Catholic missionaries went and told them about the Catholic faith. So they, under, they understood like, hey, I, need, I need to pray Hail Marys and, and here's how I view the Pope and all these different things. Then you had the Mormons that came on their two-year missionary journey, dedicated, committed. They shared their, their Mormon faith. You had Jehovah Witnesses that came, told them about how only 144,000 people were getting into heaven. And this is just my side note. If I believed that only 144,000 people were going to heaven, I'm not sharing that with a single person because I'm gonna better my chances. You following me? Like, why would you share? Anyway, please don't judge me for that. I'm just saying, okay? Um, but they, you have all of this like, I mean, it was just crazy. And so they're like, sure, I'll believe it. But they were so confused about the faith. And man, we live in a world that's so confused about the truth. Mainly because we keep looking at ourselves as <laughs> to find it. And we have a world that is broken and lost that is sending so many different messages. People need Jesus. Your neighbor needs Jesus. Your family member, your friend needs Jesus. Jesus. 
And I love that what Paul does. He meets them right where they are. And I love just the simplicity, but the grace filled of this. He could have very easily, this is kind of feel like the culture we're in, is that he could have very easily said, listen, here, you bunch of idiots. I can't believe you believe the culture. You're worshiping all these gods. You're all going to hell. I can't believe this. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the only way. But what he did is he came and he reasoned with them and had a grace-filled but truth-filled conversation sitting down with them. He met them where they are. And I love this. He's like, I notice y'all, y'all kind of religious. Kind of looking around. Y'all like to worship a lot of gods. Let me, let's just talk about that. Why do you do that? Can I tell you about a God that you can know? That a God, a God that's personal. And here's how I know. And then he just presents the gospel in a huge, simple way. He doesn't go into theology, And all the doctrines of this and this. He doesn't go into all these details that overwhelm them. He goes into this is who God is. Who he is. What he's done. He talks about the need of repentance. Because Jesus is our savior. It's very, very simple. And he puts the angst on them. And I love that because oftentimes we feel like we have to have adequate words when we're sharing truth with somebody and we have to kind of figure all this out. This is what simply what Paul does. Paul makes God really, really big and says he loves you and he's personable. Now think about this. I think oftentimes in our life, we try to make ourselves bigger and think about this. Following Christ is not about making ourselves bigger to God, but God bigger to others. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but oftentimes in our stories and we're talking in our gospel conversations with people, let me tell you what Jesus did for me and I do this and I have my devotion and I do this and I do that. When it really should be like, I don't deserve God because he is huge. He, He is the creator of all things and I do not deserve him. He is big, but yet while he's big, he loves me and he shares, Paul just shares the gospel in this. Now, let me just kind of put the angst on you for a second. When was the last time you had a personal conversation with someone who needed Jesus? When was the last time you realistically had a great conversation with someone who you know, not in a judgmental way, but you know does not follow Jesus, and if they were to die, they would go straight to hell? When was the last time you had a conversation with them? Not a Bible verse on your Facebook page. Not a, hey, I'll pray for you. I'm saying a gospel conversation where you actually shared Jesus. Not in an inauthentic way, not as like that you're my little project, but I'm saying out of great care and concern for their eternity that you did that. I love what Paul says in Romans 10. He says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But he, he continues, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, that word preach or preaching means to teach. It doesn't mean, it's it's not just all on me. You have a responsibility as a believer in this too. 
You and I are responsible for being the feet of sharing the gospel with people who desperately need the truth. And you know, even as I'm saying that, you know of at least one person in your mind that's like, that person needs the truth. At the end of the um, last service, had a gentleman come up, say, I just need some prayer. My brother is coming in town and he needs the truth. Will you just pray for me for wisdom of what to say, how to say it, you know, because I know that's tricky, especially when, when it's family. Man, it's hard to talk about those things over the dinner table. But let me kind of give you some points just from Paul real quick. Four points, because I'm just a pastor. This is what I do. Is that one, one of the things that Paul hits, and when you're sharing Jesus, he hits on the greatness of God. He talks about God as the creator. He says, in the beginning, God. Verse 24, he just points to the grandeur and the magnificence magnificent as God as creator. The second thing, he talks about the goodness of God, how God is the provider. In verse 25, he says, he, he doesn't need anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is the provider. Third, he points to God's kingdom. He says, hey, he's ruler. He's sovereign. He's in control. He allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place and that they should seek God. You were created for that relationship. And then fourth, he shows them the grace of God through Jesus that says that Jesus is the savior, that there will be a day of judgment and God appointed a man um, in righteousness in this. And so for us, man, that's when we're sharing Jesus, let us model and use this as an example to tell people about Christ when we're talking to them about needing truth. Third thing, and finally, what we see at the very tail end of this, our third point is that every man responds to God differently. Every man responds to God differently. We see in this, after Paul concludes, you have three different responses. You have a group that mock and say, that's, that's ridiculous, they make fun of it, say, that's, uh, you know, uh, we don't need that. That's just another God into our tool belt. You have another group that says, hey, I, I'm interested in learning a little bit more. So they follow him and say, hey, we'll, we'll hear about this again. And then you have a third group, a smaller group that follow and they believe. And here's what I've learned as we are sharing Jesus with people. As believers, hopefully you're doing that. People are going to respond to God differently. You might come encounter with somebody who just laughs at you, says, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There might be people that are like, hey, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'll do some more reading on it. Can we meet for coffee again? And you're going to have some people that say, hey, I love it. Thanks for telling me that. I need Jesus. And can I tell you something? Just being very vulnerable and transparent. When I first uh, became, um, started in ministry, I was a youth pastor of middle school and high school students. And I'll, I'll, I'll be totally transparent. We would take students to middle school or high school beach camp and stuff. And these nationwide communicators would preach and like hundreds of people would raise their hand. I need Jesus. They'd come to the altar and pray. They're like, I need Jesus. I'm crying, you know, and all this other stuff. And inside of me, my, the ugliness and, and selfishness of my own heart be like, I want that. I want there to be a day where I preach and like hundreds of people come to know Jesus. Listen to how selfish that is, right? And God just hit it, it'd be right in the face and said, you know what? It's not your responsibility to save. It's not your responsibility to save people. That's what Jesus is for. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But you know what is our responsibility? To share 
and to plant seeds. God does the watering and the growing, but it is our responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Who, it, it doesn't matter how they um, respond. They could laugh at us right in the face, but it's our job to share Jesus. Let us be faithful in that. Let us be people that come on Sunday and worship and we dig and we grow and we mature. And when we, when we interact with the world, let them see Jesus in us. Let our kids see Jesus. Let our neighbors see Jesus. And let us not be lazy or selfish or fearful, but let us use opportunities to point people to Jesus by our words and our actions. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would be more like Paul. This great boldness in the midst of opposition and fear circled around a bunch of smart people Paul shared his faith. And God, every single one of us, it seems like we live in a world that is just walking or maybe even running further or further away from you and the truth. And God, people are looking for you. They need you. We know it. But let us be faithful in taking steps to tell people about who you are, about the life that you offer, to stop looking at ourselves and saying, I'm the answer to my, my, my problems. And to say, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer to everything. And let that be the greatest pursuit of our lives, so much so that it's contagious with others. So God, as we respond and worship, let us worship you. How huge you are, how gracious and how good you are, even when we don't deserve it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond in worship. If you need prayer, I'll be down front. If you wanna talk, make a decision to follow Jesus or maybe baptism, I'll be down front as well. Or you can use the altar to pray and spend some time with God. But let's worship together.